We're turning this evening to the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and to chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, and to chapter 5. We'll begin our reading from verse 14. Matthew 5 and verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. And whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he shall in no, wise, in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We give thanks for this short reading of his word. Let's ask the Lord's help. Our eternal Father, as we come to consider the scriptures together tonight, we pray that you would give us understanding and help. I pray for help in the words that I use. Lord, we pray that the words used may be those which are selected by the Spirit of God to touch hearts and souls, touch my heart. Lord, we pray that each of us might receive a blessing from your word today. We thank you, Father, for the sustenance which it gives to us, the manner as we have just sung, which is given to us on the Lord's day. And we pray, our Father, that we might be strengthened, not just for the week which follows, but throughout our lives by the memory of these things. And we pray, our Father, that you would instruct us in righteousness. Bless our hearts then, we ask thee, and continue with us this evening. We ask these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. So I want to consider the verses from verse 17 down to verse 20. Uh, but to say, first of all, as in the introduction, perhaps those words from verse 15, <coughs> or verse 14 rather, uh, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Here, the Lord is speaking about himself. He is saying that he has built a city. And if you are a Christian here tonight, you are a part of that city. And when God builds a city, he doesn't hide the city, but he builds it upon a hill. And when the city is set upon a hill, all can see it. And therefore, all of us who are Christians here today are observed by the world. The Lord has set us up on a hill. And he says, likewise, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And so the Lord has set us up on a place high that we might shine forth in righteousness to the world, that the world might know that God has set before them a law, that he has set before them righteousness, that he has set before them a standard to which they will be held, and we are the bearers of that standard. That's a, that's a, 
a, a weighty thing for us to carry as Christians. And uh, there are, of course, those who think to themselves, well, we're not under law, we're under grace, we can live our lives any way we please. And if Jesus has died for us, then he doesn't care too much what we do uh, as long as we remember that Jesus is our salvation. But the Lord continues on in verse 17 and he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Let's just clear the words, first of all, so we understand what is being said here. First of all, he says that he has not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The word fulfill, well, quite often it we are considerate in the way of um, completing something which is required of us. In other words, we would think that Jesus was coming to, to do the law and therefore fulfill it. So we may have a contract, and if we are to, con uh, to fulfill a contract, we go and do whatever we are contracted to do. But the word here is not the word which means to fulfill in the fact of keeping it, but it is to fill full, which we can understand. And what Christ is saying here is that he is not taking away the law. He is in actual fact making it clearer to us. We might take a couple of examples. First of all, remember what Jesus says when he said uh, concerning the law uh, about committing adultery. He says that uh, a man commits adultery when he looks upon a woman uh, to lust after her. Not the actual act of adultery, but just the thought of adultery is also a breaking of the law of God. So he is filling it up. He is saying, look, you're, you're seeing the law as a, as a collection of writings. Don't do this and don't do that. And these things are required of you. But I'm saying to you, there is something deeper than this. It's not just the actual doing of the things. It's the, it's the nature within your heart which brings you to do them. Some people fulfill the lusts of their flesh. Some people still have the lust of the flesh, but they hold back from actually doing the things. Jesus says, what I want you to understand is that sin begins in the heart. In fact, sin is a substance of the heart. It is something which is of the heart. It's not just what we do. It is what we are. That's the problem. And then also it says, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. A jot is uh, a, the tiniest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, it's, uh, it would be pronounced perhaps yod today, and it's just um, a bit like a comma or a, a, um, an apostrophe uh, in a word. It's not much bigger than that, a tiny little letter and he says, not even the tiniest letter will pass from the law till it will be fulfilled. And not a tittle. The tittle, in Hebrew, uh, the language, uh, the, the writing of the language, lots of the letters are very, very similar to each other. And when we learn to write the, 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 uh, the letters of the law, uh, uh, the, the letters of Hebrew rather, we have to make a difference between some of them. And even going back after not looking at it for some time, uh, you're sort of thinking to yourself now, 
what is that letter? Um, is this, for instance, uh, the letter Kaf, or is this the letter Baith? Baith is down, and it has a tiny little bit on the end of it, and Kaf is just round. Almost the same, but that tiny little bit, which distinguishes the one letter from the other, that is the tittle. And so what Jesus is saying, not even the tiniest part of a letter, not the smallest letter or even the tiniest part of the letter, will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This fulfilling, this filling up of the law, we can see the same word which is used in another place. Uh, in Matthew fourteen twenty. we read, And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Twelve baskets full. That same word. And again, and Jesus, Luke 4, verse 1, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus really is saying that I'm topping up the law. I'm topping it up. I'm making it so that you understand that it's much, much greater. It's a, it's a, it's a greater thing than even you understand. And he goes on in verse 20 to say, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So in a sense, then he's tightening it up. He's making it even more difficult. And we want to consider this together tonight. What what does Jesus mean? Is he making it more difficult to get to heaven? Is he making it so that uh, those who were in the Old Testament were were so far short that they had no chance of getting to heaven? What, 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 what is it that he's speaking about? Well, first of all, there are three aspects to the law. And I'm going to suggest this to you, that there are three uh, different parts, if you like, of the law. Well, not everybody agrees with this, but usually it's for some uh, nefarious reason that they don't agree with it. Uh, first of all, there are the Ten Commandments. And we read together from the uh, portion that we read from Exodus. And it says there in Exodus 31 verse 18. He gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai. Two tables of testimony. Tables of stone written with the finger of God. Two tables of stone written with the finger of God. What we know as the Ten Commandments. And when God gives the Ten Commandments, he is only writing down the commandments which were from the beginning. He is not writing down something new here. These are the commands of God from the foundation of the world. And they begin that we shall have no other gods before him. Uh, No other gods. And then he says, uh, we shall not make unto us any graven image. No images of God. And then he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. No blasphemies of the name of God. These three laws are all concerning man's relationship to God and how that we worship him. Uh, Quite interesting, actually, even in in the formulation of them, um, just as an aside, which I have to try to resist uh, in speaking because it makes the sermon far too long. But just quite interesting that no other gods before me. And we might say that this is uh, the father. He is God. And we are, there are no other gods but the father. God is one. Then you shall not make any graven image. 
a graven image. But Jesus Christ is the image of God. And here we have the Son of God. And so here we have the, the image of God, which is Jesus Christ, who is the express image, as we read in Hebrews and chapter 1. We're no other graven image because there is an image of God already, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, of course, uh, to Philip, uh, if you have seen me, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And then, when we come to the third, we shall not uh, um, uh, blaspheme the name of God. Thou shalt not take the name of the God in vain. It's interesting, again, in the Gospels, that the sin which shall not be forgiven unto men is the sin against the Holy Ghost. The sin against the Holy Ghost, blaspheming the Holy Ghost. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are represented in those first three laws. If we jump the fourth law for a moment, go on to the fifth, thou shalt not kill. Well, that's a law which has been from the foundation of the world. In fact, long before uh, Exodus is written or Moses even lives, God has said that if man's life is taken, whoever has murdered that person, their life must be taken also. Whether it be a man or whether it be a beast. And the life must be taken. It is forfeit because only God is able and only God is, uh, is um, uh, permitted to take a life. So here we have uh, the commandment of God long before uh, the the Ten Commandments were given. And then thou shalt not commit adultery. And we can understand that because, as Jesus said, uh, that when God created man and woman, he made them male and female. And it says that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They too not three, not four, not ten, or as David or as Solomon with, uh, with tens or hundreds of wives, just two. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. And again, of course, we can understand that from the foundation of the world, uh, it was uh, never a, a right thing and never a good thing to steal that which is someone else's. And then we read also that we are... Um, not to bear false witness. Uh, bearing false witness is with malice, when we accuse someone of something which they have not done. And then we are not to covet. So in these, we have six. So the first three correlate, don't they, to the, first, to the, uh, the person of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the last six, six in the scripture is the number of man. But then we have the fourth one, which is in the middle. And I suggest to you that the fourth one is most important because it points both ways. First of all, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why? Because in six days, God created the heaven and the earth. It is holy because it is God's day. Because God has set it for us. And we are to commune with him. We've already uh, seen those words concerning the Sabbath. And we'll come to uh, what it says about that in, in Exodus in a, in a moment or two. But it is God's day. Therefore, we keep it holy. It belongs to him. It reminds us that he is our creator. It reminds us that he finished the work. It also reminds us that at the end of all things, we will stand before our creator. But it also points the other way. 
In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor thy stranger which is within thy gates. And here we see the grace what we are to have toward others and not cause them to work either. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we are to love the Lord with all our heart. The Sabbath day is central. It is pivotal to the whole of the law. It's the one today which is uh, first one to be cast out. And yet I suggest to you that it's uh, perhaps one of the most important of all. Because it helps us to remember God so that we don't have gods before him. We don't make given images. We don't blaspheme his name. And also it helps us to commune together, to love one another, to strengthen one another. And so that we don't uh, commit uh, murder or steal or commit adultery uh, and, and so on. So it's quite pivotal, that fourth commandment. And these are on the tablets. These are on those tables of the law which God wrote with his own finger. Now the rest of the laws which are given, God doesn't write with his own finger. He does give them to Moses, but he doesn't write them with his own finger. So we come to these transcripts, these laws, this ceremonial law. And God gives a ceremonial law. And the ceremonial law is all to do with sacrifices. Considered this a little bit this morning. That God not only gives us laws that if we break the laws, then we have broken his law and we are guilty of death and we are guilty before him. But also, graciously, he gives something extra. And that is when, not if, but when you break the laws that I have given you, if you bring a sacrifice uh, and an offering, I will consider it in place of you And instead of slaying you for your sin, I will accept the beast in your place. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us very clearly that the sacrifice of animals does not take away sin. The blood of bulls and of of goats uh, doesn't take away sin. Uh, But nevertheless, God, in his grace, says, I will accept that. And so you have these ceremonial things. You have the law, which I will give you in the transcripts, and we have the ceremony, which will help you uh, to, to, um, uh, to, to keep those laws. Because when you break them, and you will, then you will have a way of getting out of the trouble that you are in. <clears throat> so we have these ceremonial laws. And then we have the civil law. Uh, The the civil law is also uh, concerning the the nation, the national law, just as we have laws in this country. Uh, So the laws of God uh, are not things like you shall not drive faster than 20 miles an hour down this road. That's a civil law. It's a law still. You can be prosecuted for it. And all of the laws which are, are set up in Parliament here and the laws that were given to Israel in their day, Those are the laws which God gave to them, and that was for the running of the nation. So there are three parts of the law. There are the tablets of the law, which are the Ten Commandments, which stretch over the whole of time, from the creation to the end of time. And then we have this ceremonial law, which are the laws of God, which God added. Now it's interesting, if you look at these words from Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, It says, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. 
and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. It was added because of transgressions. Now, the Ten Commandments weren't added because of transgressions. The Ten Commandments were there because they were eternal laws, that we should not have a God before God, that we should not make images, that we should not blaspheme him. These, these are commandments from the very foundation of the world. They weren't added because of transgressions. They were the laws which were there even with Adam and Eve in the garden. So what is this that is added? Well, we find that because the children of Israel sinned against God, and we read together there from Matthew, uh, from Matthew, from Exodus chapter 31 and 32, that while Moses was up in the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, that the people were down making an idol. They were breaking that eternal law. They were worshipping an idol. Aaron, we can see, uh, be, uh, set a feast to worship Jehovah, but he was a representation, and they said, up, make us gods that will go before us. You know, man always wants to have a god that will go before them. Man always wants a god that they can control. And it's seen all the way through humanity, in actual fact, even uh, as people pray. Uh, they want to know why God doesn't answer my prayer. Well, God will do what he will do. We beseech him, we ask him, we call upon him. And we ask that he be gracious to us, but he does not answer to us. We answer to him. And so we have the tablets of the law, and then this ceremonial law, this, the, the uh, transcripts of the law were added. And it was much harder. And the things which God gives now, instead of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days shalt thou work and, uh, and uh, labor and do all thy work. The seventh is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Here is a day off for you. Here is a day of peace. Here is a day of calm. Here is a day when both you and your servants and your wife and your children and even your animals are all to rest. And this great gift, remember what Jesus says, that the Sabbath was, not, uh, was uh, made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That God gives us this great gift. But then we read there from Exodus in chapter 32 that God says, in chapter 31 in fact, he says then, because this was added because of transgressions, he says a person that breaks the Sabbath must surely be put to death. Now he's gone a step further. He's tightened up the law. He has made the law so impossible to keep that men are all condemned before him. And in fact, we could say that God says to us, well, I gave you a law. It was very simple. All you needed to do was to love one another and love me. But no, you couldn't do that. So therefore, let's just see what the law might be. Let's stipulate what the law is. Let me give you laws. And all of these laws, law after law after law, if you read through uh, the book of Leviticus, and a uh, few people, it seems, have actually done that, but if you read through, some of the laws are, are, are terrible things. And you, you look at them and you think, oh, I, I couldn't have lived in such a day. Why does God add such hard laws? Well, because he has a purpose of turning us to himself, to try to show us this, that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
Oh, you say you can be righteous. But let me just show you what the law is. Let me just show you how hard it is. Let me just show you that I am expecting perfection. That's what I expect. You be perfect. No, you can't. And so the law is tightened to such an extent that there is, there is no escape. That everybody is condemned. That everybody is lost. There is none righteous. No, not one. And he gives these laws so hard, so difficult. And the scripture tells us that the laws were given as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. They were there so harsh that the only escape that we could possibly have was to turn to the Lord and say to the Lord, Lord, I cannot keep the law which you have given. I cannot be perfect. I've tried. I have worked hard. And there are people who have have worked hard. There are people who have given up their lives, people who have gone into monasteries and into, into convents, and they've tried to be good. Remember Martin Luther, who strove so hard to be righteous, and he found he could not be righteous. He found that there was always sin with him. Even the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7 and says, When I would do good, I find evil is present with me. But he also has the answer at the end of that chapter where he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. You see, it's a schoolmaster to turn us to Christ. The reason the laws were so stringent, so hard, was so that we might recognize that there is no salvation in any other but that in Jesus Christ. God says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And so we see that the works of the law are not possible. And Jesus says here in verse 20, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the people hearing this, in this Sermon on the Mount, the people hearing this, will consider the scribes and the Pharisees to be the most righteous people there were. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself says in Philippians that he was a Pharisee. Concerning the law, he said, I was blameless. Remember, there was a young, young man that came running to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the law. And the young man said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Jesus only gave the second table. All these have I kept from my youth up, he says. And here were the righteous people, but Jesus says, you need to be more righteous than that. No, they keep the external laws. They do all the things which not only they themselves, uh, or, or not only the things which are given in the law of Moses, but things which they have added. Oh, Sabbath day's journey can only be so many steps. You have to tithe the mint and the cumin. All these different things which have been added to you, you can keep all of those, but that's, you, need, you need a greater righteousness than that. You need to be perfect. You need to be perfect. Otherwise, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. But what is Jesus' point then? That the works of law, by the works of the law, no man shall be justified. We are called to obedience. We are called to a perfect righteousness. But the things which were given to them and the things which they sought to do stood only 
as we read in Hebrews, in meats and drinks, in diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. The law was given, but there was none that could keep it. And you are the same. But when we come to consider the wisdom of the law, we realize that, first of all, the wisdom of the law which God gave is that it brings a conviction of sin. And that's all important. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you're not a sinner here tonight, then you don't need Jesus Christ. You don't need salvation. You're already perfect. God says you're not perfect, but if you consider yourself to have kept the law and walked a perfect life, then you consider yourself uh, without any need of this salvation. The wisdom of the law, then, first of all, is the conviction of sin. We just read these words from Galatians 3, verse 21 to 24, which the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Galatia. Is the law, then, against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. If there could have been a law which could have given life, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up or locked up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. God has hedged us in such a way that if we take any notice of the law which he has given, we realize we cannot go that way. We cannot go this way. We cannot go back. We have to go forward and the hedges bring us eventually to Christ. That's what the law does. It is a schoolmaster saying, no, you cannot turn to the right. No, you cannot turn to the left. You must go this way. And when you go this way, you will come to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of the law. And the conduct of salvation then is that we delight to do his will. And this comes from a repentance. God says that if we trust in Jesus Christ, there will be a new covenant, a new law, so to speak, that he will put within our hearts. He speaks of his own people and he says in Jeremiah chapter 31, The covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. That is, we are not instructing people and saying that this is the law, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. But he says, They shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the work of God in the gospel. We come to a point of repentance. We come to a point of acknowledging that we are sinners, 
That we come before God and we cry out to God, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Accept me on the grounds of Jesus Christ who died for me. And God says when we have that repentance of heart, then we have a new outlook on life. Now his law is written upon our hearts. Now we love the Lord for his salvation. Now we love our brother and sister. And if we have not love one for another, John writes, then we are not his. We now have a better covenant and better promises. Hebrews 8 and verse 6. But now hath he, that is Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see, here the writer to the Hebrews is taking up those very words of Jeremiah and he's saying, this is what God promised, that Jesus would come, that there would be a new covenant, a new deal, if you like, between God and his people. And he says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be merciful to their unrighteous and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Hebrews 9.15, for this cause, he is the mediator of a new covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance this is the salvation this is the wisdom of the law the conduct of our salvation is written in our hearts we now walk not after the flesh but after the spirit romans 8 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit and then also in the wisdom of the law is this craving for saintliness. Paul writes, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. How do we establish it? Well, we desire it. We, love, we want to love God. We desire to love God. We desire to have no other gods before him. We desire to have nothing of this world as an image of God. Nothing comes close to who God is. There is no image that we can think of which represents God. God is a spirit. We can't make a a face which looks like Jesus Christ. No one knows what Jesus Christ looks like. Indeed, as I've said in time past, I I do wonder whether anybody can ever remember what Jesus looked like. Remember as he's walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples and they didn't recognize him. Remember Mary in the garden. She turned. She thought it was the gardener until he said, Mary... Those two on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him until he took bread and broke it and blessed it. And then he disappeared from their sight. It seems to me that nobody actually could remember what Jesus looked like until he revealed himself to them. And certainly in the Old Testament, God says in these uh, words, or a close approximation, because I'm not actually reading it uh, from the Bible now, just from memory, but it was something I showed you no similitude, I showed you no picture or image or anything that you could recognize 
when I, when I uh, manifested myself to you, I didn't show you any of these things because I knew if I did that, you would make an idol. So I didn't do it. We, there, there is no idol that we can have for God. We can't have a picture of Jesus. Don't know what Jesus looked like. And if we have a picture of Jesus, it is a problem. I used to wear a little cross around my neck, a little gold cross, which I can't remember where I got it from now, but uh, I used to wear it. And I remember my uncle one day saying, why do you wear that? And I said, well, it reminds me of Jesus. I didn't really have an answer, to be honest. Uh, And I I, I knew what the the understanding of the the family would be concerning it. Uh, And he says, oh, does it? He said, but I realized one day I was going swimming. And I'm always uh, aware of dangers. And I was going swimming and I'd forgotten it. It wasn't around my neck. And I thought, oh, I haven't got it. Now I might drown. And at that moment, I thought to myself, am I actually trusting in a little bit of gold that's hanging around my neck? Does that what really happens to us when we have a picture of Jesus? Or we have some beads? Or we have some other memento? Which is why this church has nothing of these things. All it has is some seats and a Bible. Because it tells us about Jesus. But there is no similitude. There's no pictures. There's, no, there's nothing to represent Jesus. Because he is within our hearts. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the Lord has called us not to have those things and certainly not to take his name in vain, but to honor him in all things. The law then is given. And as Jesus says, I came not to destroy the law. I have come to fill it up full. And when I fill it up full and bring condemnation upon this world, then they might know that I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Do you understand that there is no righteousness apart from Christ? There is no salvation apart from Christ. That the way of salvation is in Christ alone. And that the law is given, not that we try and keep it and live good lives and hope that God will forgive us our misdemeanors and our our failings in the end. But that we might recognize that we need salvation. And that salvation is given by the grace of God to us. And the very act of repentance is that change of mind, that understanding. Lord, I am a sinner. Remember Peter When Jesus uh, did that miracle before him and Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized his sinfulness. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And in that invitation, Peter followed him. And that invitation comes in the gospel. And Jesus says to you all, recognize that you are sinners. And once you have done so, follow me. Will you follow him? Will you walk with him? For trying to keep the law will bring you nothing. But loving the law with all your heart and trusting in him for salvation will bring you everything. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.